All right. Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> glad to have you here. Everybody who's online listening, glad you're here with us as well. And happy Father's Day to everybody. Uh, I hope all the fathers out there have a fantastic, wonderful, awesome day. I have determined in my heart to do so. I was telling somebody before church, you know, I'm, I'm very much, I have very similar DNA to that of a manatee. You ever know what a manatee is? It's those chubby, jolly creatures that swim in the waters of Florida. You know what I mean? If you put me in the sun, I'll die. You know what I mean? I need to be either well shaded or in a body of water. You know what I mean? So I have buoyancy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's what I plan on doing today. So I hope you guys have a great and awesome day today, all of you uh, fathers out there and uh, of course, uh, I jokingly earlier said, you know, I used to say to my wife, what are you going to do for me? What are we going to do for Father's Day? And she would say the same thing you do every Sunday, <laughs> whatever you want, you know what I mean? It's kind of mean. But anyway, uh, of course, uh, you know, for me personally, you know, when, when, when Father's Day rolls around and, and uh, I, I just, I just, I always think of the Father, right? Uh, our Father, our Father who is in heaven. And uh, the loving kindness and the gracious heart that he has for each and every one of us. You know, and, and I, I love that portion in Scripture when Jesus is teaching the people and he says, you know, which of you, if, you're, if your son asked him for, for, for bread, would give him a stone? Or, or, or if he asked for a fish, would give, him a, uh, would give him a snake? You know what I mean? And then he made that beautiful point, if you being evil... You know, in other words, being sinners, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who love Him? Uh, and that is a great place to be as a believer, you know, to know that I've been called. And it's not dependent upon my righteousness, right? Ooh. It's not dependent upon my good works, it is 100% solely because he called me, he called me, and I listened and hearkened to his voice, and Jesus Christ entered into my life and became my Lord and my Savior. And my salvation and my eternal destination is 150,000% because of him. And so that is what it means when the scripture says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You know, the lie that people are told in the world is that if you become a Christian, if you become quote unquote religious, you're losing your freedom, right? The freedom that you have to go out and get smashed on a Saturday night and to get in fights in the bars and to crash your cars and the freedom that you have to get addicted to things and the freedom that you have to ruin relationships and the freedom that you have to destroy your society. It is Christ who sets us free. In Jesus' name, by the love of God the Father, I am free from Frank. And let me tell you something. You don't want to be held up by that dude, okay? I am free from myself. I'm free from my sinful heart, from my sinful ways. I'm free from all of that. I'm free to serve Jesus. And here's the great thing. Because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, when I blow it, and you know this, Christian, not if, right? Not if. When I blow it, I'm covered. 
I'm covered. I didn't get saved, and the Holy Spirit and God's grace and mercy doesn't exist so that I can sin. It doesn't give me freedom or a license to sin. That's not what it is at all. And anyone who teaches that is teaching incorrectly. The purpose of grace and mercy is because God knows that I am a sinner, and that in spite of the fact that I do fall to sin, which is never okay, but the fact, in spite of the fact that I do fall to sin, I always can get back up. As our pastor has taught us over and over and over again, the mark of a righteous person is not that they don't fall. The mark of a righteous person is that they what? All together, get back up. Get back up. That's what marks the righteous person. And so that's where our hearts need to be, guys. Dave, Dave, listen to me. If you are down this morning, if you are down this morning, if you are low this morning, if you're feeling inadequate or unworthy this morning, nail that, let that be nailed to the cross in Jesus' name. Let that go. You don't have a right to hold on to that stuff, friend because you have been set free in Jesus Christ. He has taken your sins as far away from you, the Scripture says, as the east is from the west, and remembers them no more. Imagine if you followed your spouse around all day long. Rem remember that time that I did that to you? <laughs> you know, remember, re remember that time that I did, did that to you? <laughs> you probably hate me. And they probably go, they go, leave me alone. I'm not remembering this stuff. I'm not dragging it back up. Why are you? We would never do that. It's not the way it works. It's usually we're saying, remember what you did? <laughs> remember the way that happened? God doesn't remember your sins from yesterday. It's forgiven in Jesus' name. It's nailed to the cross in Jesus' name. Why are you bringing it back up? Why are you holding on to that guilt? That is not yours to hold on to. You sin, you fall, you allow that godly conviction to come into your heart and to convict you of that sin. You raise your hand and you say, I repent of my sins. I ask for forgiveness. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've sinned. Lord, forgive me. It's done. It's gone. You get up and you move on and you move forward. That's the beauty of the relationship we have in Jesus Christ. And it all comes from the fact that we have a good, good father. We're going to learn that worship song. You're a good, good father. Why? That's who he is. That's just who he is. And a good parent loves their children because they exist, right? Not because they do any wonderful things. Not because they're continually blessing your life in every way. You just go to bed every night. Oh, my children have just done it all right today. And so I, no, it doesn't matter if they're doing the right things, if they're not doing the right things, because you're a parent, a good parent, you love your children. How much more does our Father in heaven love us? Amen? Amen. So we are in the book of Numbers, and we're going to be uh, trying to finish up chapter uh, 24 this morning. We're going to be picking up in verse 15. <clears throat> uh, Numbers chapter 24, starting with verse 15. I want to first <clears throat> go over a couple of highlights, some highlights, some verses that we've gone through already in the account of Balaam, the son of Beor, right? Here's this guy, and we don't really know all the details about Balaam. We really, there's so much that we don't know. Really, when you listen to everybody preach about Balaam, <clears throat> you know, they, there's a lot of conjecture. Well, I, you know, I, he was... He was never, he never belonged to God, or he did belong to God, and then he didn't belong to God. I have no idea. We are not given the exact detail. This is what Balaam's relationship with God was, and this is how it all fell apart. 
or that he never had a relationship with God. All we know is that for some reason, whatever it may be, insert your own doc doctrine there or, or feelings on the matter there, <clears throat> whatever the reason may be, God spoke through Balaam. I don't know why he spoke through Balaam. Balaam certainly didn't deserve it, did he? But God spoke through Balaam. It's interesting to me. Jesus Christ is the one who called Judas Iscariot, the traitor of all traitors, of all time in all the ages. Judas Iscariot, the traitor of traitors. Remember when Jesus said to them, have I not called you? And one of you is a devil. Can you imagine being in for that message? You know, oh, oh, are we supposed to draw straws? Or... And one of you is a devil. And yet Jesus called Judas, and Jesus taught Judas, and Jesus, Jesus loved Judas, and Jesus fed Judas. Jesus did the same things for Judas that he did for all of his other disciples, knowing that Judas was the betrayer. What manner of love is this? The Bible says, because scarcely would ever, one ever dare to die for a righteous man, though may perhaps, maybe perhaps somebody might possibly dare to die for righteous, but God demonstrates his love for us in this way, that while we were his enemies, Jesus died for us. That's the love. I don't know what was going on with Balaam. I don't know what Balaam's major malfunction was, and I don't know why God chose to use him, but he did. And he spoke to Balaam. And so we have this account. The children of Israel are being brought by the Lord out of the wanderings in the wilderness towards the promised land, and they are already had these great victories over King Agag and Og, the king of Bashan, these giants. These, these huge armies, these, these insurmountable odds as it was seen to the spies that went in originally to spy out the land and said, we can't defeat these people. God's now giving them the victory. The giants are falling. Not the New York giants, okay? They fell long ago, okay? <laughs> the giants of the land are falling. And Balak sees this happening. Remember, he keeps bringing Balaam up to a mountaintop to be able to overlook the valley and see the entirety of the nation, some two and a half uh, million strong. And there he's able to see the entirety. So Balak has been able to, in some way, see and witness what's been happening, the victory that God has been giving the children of Israel. Now, interestingly enough, God had already told the children of Israel that they were not to go in and destroy Moab. Why? Because they were the descendants of Lot. But Balak is not a man of God. He does not care about the things of God. And so he immediately, I want you to notice this, I want you to listen to what I'm saying and write this down. Even though they are not his enemy, because they're with God, he automatically reckons them as such. Because they're on the side of God, because they're being used by God, there's something in Balak who was a rebel against God that he automatically sees them as the enemy. Don't be surprised, Christian. Don't be surprised. Jesus said this himself. If the world hates you, remember this. It hated me first. Well, it's kind of childish. <laughs> no, 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 Jesus was saying be encouraged by this. The world hated me. You, you know, you ever see little... If Jesus was alive today, what do you think he would do about this? What do you think he would... How do you think he would feel about this? You guys would... Not you guys. The world would crucify him again and again and again. 
Because they loved Jesus when he was performing the miracles. They loved Jesus when he was feeding the 5,000. They loved Jesus when he was doing the things that made them feel good. But as soon as Jesus began to speak the words of truth, and he began to call conviction into their life and say, you need to repent, and you need to give your hearts to God, and you need to walk your lives and live your lives and have within you a heart and a true desire to be followers of God, not in your lip service, not in your church attendance, not in the offerings that you give, bah, but in your hearts. As it is written by the prophets, Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. And as soon as he began to convict them of their sin, they hated him. They departed from him. And eventually they yelled, crucify him. And make no mistake about it, Christian, the same thing would happen today. The same thing that happened today. I dare say there may be some church people who would say crucify him. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. But rebellion is as the sin of divination. In a haughty and lifted up heart, it's like witchcraft in the eyes of God. And he hates witchcraft. Because it's the working of the devil. And so is pride. And so is rebellion. That's the original sin. Before Adam and Eve's original sin, the original sin with man, the original, original, original sin was pride, was Satan lifting himself up, seeking to make himself equal to God. I'm here to tell you that in the heart of every man, woman, and child that's out there today of the age of accountability, there is something within us. There is some perverse nature within us that causes us to make our will supreme over God's word. It's working in your life every single day, and that's why the Bible says that every day we have to take up our cross, crucify our flesh, and follow after him every day. I think it was Damien Kyle pop at one of the pastor's conferences says, sometimes I'll just stand in the mirror and go, no. <laughs> it's good practice. No. <laughs> right? And you do it while you're driving, too. And the guy cuts you off, and you're like, Ugh! no. <laughs> you look in the rearview mirror, not too long. No. We need to tell ourselves constantly, no. Not my will be done. Not my will be done. I love it how Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane because he lays it out. I'm afraid. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the angel of the armies of God in the Old Testament, he says to his Father in the Garden, I'm afraid. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to carry their sins. I don't want to be separated from you. If there's any way, if there's any way, Please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, and you all know it, not my will. So you go to God and you lay out your petitions and you lay out your requests and you put it all on the line and you tell him exactly what's going on. He knows anyways. And then you finish with this, but not my will. We live in a day and a time and a church age in which people expect God to do their will. Here's what I've decided to do, God. Now bless it. Here's what I've already decided to do, God. Now I want you to bless it. But the Bible says, da, 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 I feel. But I feel my feelings. 
If I just did whatever I felt like all the time, well, I did a lot of uh, work in the prisons this week. It would have been convenient. <laughs> it would have been if I just did what I feel. My feelings are not God's word. God's word is God's word. Oftentimes, my feelings are the enemy, are the enemy of God's will. Make no mistake about it. And so we bring it to God in prayer. Lord, I feel. It's okay. He's your heavenly father. We come to him. The Bible says crying, Abba, father. Abba is the Arabic word for daddy. Like a little child comes to their daddy, daddy, daddy. Shut up, kid. Ah, never. When you hear that magical little voice going, daddy, where are they at? Where are they at? And you can go to your heavenly father and you can cry out and you can say, dad. I need you. Dad, I'm hurting. Dad, I don't like this. Dad, can we change this? Dad, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That is key. That is essential. Balaam, Balaam said the right things. He said over and over again to Balak, listen, I can only say what God tells me to say. That's all I can do. I can't go out. I can't tell you what you want to hear. All I can say is what God, Balak, you got to understand this. Don't get mad at me. God will only, I can only say what God said. And yet, and yet, Balaam only wanted his will to be done. In Balaam's case, he, the, it was all about the money. Balaam was a man who sought after wealth. That was his thing. Insert your thing here, right? We all got a thing, right? That's why we don't judge people. That's why the Bible says, don't judge. Don't you judge. You want to talk about some of the hardest verses a person could ever read. When Jesus says, don't judge, because in the same manner that you judge others, you'll be judged by God. And in the same measure that you measure it out to them, it will be measured out to you. If that don't cause you to have fear and trembling, I don't know what will. Because we are all judgers in our heart. Look at him, look at her, look at him, look at her, look at them, look at this group, look at that group. Oh, God, just wipe him out. God, just wipe him out. God forbid. God, help me. Help me. Because that's wickedness. That's wickedness to look on any group of people or, every per or, or any person or any situation and be calling on or hoping for God's judgment. Only we should ever be praying, God, pour out your mercy. God, pour out your love. God, use me. Or use someone to bring to them the love of Jesus Christ so that they might be free in you. That's what the world see, needs to see today. That's what the world needs to hear today. Not that they need to belong to one political affiliation or another. Not that they need to be on this side of the things or this side of the things in our society. They need to know that someone loves them and died for them and seeks to free them. Most will reject and here's the hard part. Most will reject it because Jesus Christ has always been and will always be the stumbling stone of offense. All who come must stumble. Jesus said, whoever falls on this rock will be broken into pieces. Everybody who comes to Jesus Christ has to be broken. In what way? I am a sinner. Woe is me. I am undone a man of unclean lips. Every day I need a savior. Every day I need his mercy and I need his grace because every day I earn hell again. I earn it. And that is the definition of mercy, not getting what you deserve. 
the definition of grace, unearned, unmerited favor. The definition of mercy, not getting what you deserve every day, every day. Remember the parable of the unjust servant who owed $2 million. He owed $2 million to his master. He owed $2 million. And when he had no way to pay, he came and he threw himself before his Lord and he said, forgive me, I don't have the money. I have no way to to pay you back. Please have mercy upon me. And his master who was just said, I forgive you of all. Go your way, you're free. You're free. Imagine you had $2 million in debt. Imagine, for some of us, it's like $2,000 in debt. Oh, what do we <laughs> Imagine, and you went to Citibank. <laughs> this is never going to happen, by the way, okay? Have mercy on me. You're free. You're clear. All of your debt is can't. And we're talking about filthy lucre. We're talking about money. We're not even into it, talking about eternal souls. You're free. You're forgiven of it all. And Jesus said, but then the funniest thing happened. This servant who had just been forgiven a debt of $2 million went out and he was walking along the way and he saw a fellow servant who owed him 20 bucks. Owed him 20 bucks. And he went over to him and he said, pay me what you owe me. And the other servant said, I'm sorry, sir, I'm sorry. I don't have any way to pay you. Please have mercy upon me. And he began to choke him. Give me what you owe me. And said, throw him in debtor's prison till he can pay me back. Well, the other servants saw the scene. And they were deeply distressed. And so they went back to the master and they told him what had happened. And he called him and he said, you wicked, wicked servant. Did I not forgive you $2 million? Ought you not have then to gone out and forgiven your brother for 20 bucks? And he said, put him back in debtor's prison. He will not get out until he pays back every dime. Jesus was making a very important point. Friends, everyone out there in TV land listening, the very important point is this. We have been forgiven much. Remember what Jesus said to the priest when he was eating in his house, Simon, Simon the Pharisee. And the unclean woman came in from the streets and she began to weep on his feet and wash his feet with her tears and dry his feet with her hair. And Simon the Pharisee in his heart said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what type, what manner of woman is touching him. He would never let a woman like that touch him. And Jesus, knowing Simon's thoughts, you ever been thinking to yourself? And Jesus answers. Remember, friends, he knows it all. He knows it all. I have something to say to you, Simon. See this woman? When I came into your house, you didn't offer me a seat. You didn't wash my feet but she's not stopped kissing my feet and washing them with her tears. You didn't even give me the most common courtesy, Simon. And this woman has abjectly put herself before me in the most humiliating of fashions to show her love and devotion. And so I say to you, her sins, though they are many, are forgiven her. And then he looks at Simon and he says, but remember this. Remember this. Those who've been forgiven much, love much. And those who've been forgiven little, love little. Now, I'm convinced that Jesus, what he was really saying was that Simon was the biggest sinner in the room. His pride, his arrogance, his rejection of Jesus 
Was that better? Was that less than the woman's infidelities? Of course not. We need to have hearts of mercy. Okay. All right, listen. <laughs> Let's go through some scriptures. I love this. I don't know how far we're going to get here. Numbers, I just want to go through some high points, all right? Now, remember, God is speaking through Balaam about his people, about his people, who Balak wants him to curse. Balak wants, curse these people. Curse, I want you to curse these people. I want these people to be gone from me. I need you to curse these people. I can only say what God says. Well, here's what God says in Numbers 23, 7 to 8. He says this. He took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab has brought me from, from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? That's the first thing we need to understand. Nobody can curse you. Nobody can denounce you who belong to God. Just because somebody will curse you and denounce you, God will never leave you or forsake you. He will never. Numbers chapter 23, verses 20 and 21. Behold, I have received, that is a God from God. Behold, I have received a command to bless. He, that is Jehovah God, has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Remember, Balaam wanted the money. More than he wanted to be obedient to God's word, he wanted the money. He wanted to curse Israel. But he says, God has blessed these people, and no one can reverse it. People are still trying to reverse God's blessing on Israel to this day, aren't they? All over the world, <clears throat> denouncing the Zionist regime. Now listen, the people who live in Israel and the governments of Israel, the nation, are men and women just like you and me, and there's wickedness and there's evil, an abundance there. But God's promises are not dependent on the goodness of men. Hello? Right? Thank God. The sun rose in the east, and it's going to set in the west. And so his covenant with Jacob stands. And no one can take that away from them. And no one can curse them. Read Romans and read Hebrews. I mean, if, if that doesn't tell you, I don't know what to say. Uh, here he goes. Nor, he doesn't say, I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob. It's like, dude, five minutes ago, you sent fiery serpents amongst them. They just were just complaining, and you had to send in the snakes. Remember? Right before they get to the land, they're complaining. And God sends in fiery serpents among them, begins to bite the people, and they're dying. And so Moses lifts up the bronze pole with a serpent wrapped around it. That's the little medical thing that you see. And anyone who would look at it, it was a picture of Jesus Christ. In the, the snake represents that he became sin. He became sin and was lifted up that he might draw all men to himself. And anyone who looked upon that, they didn't die from the snake. That just happened. And God says, I have not observed iniquity in Jacob. Again, that's good news for you and I. Nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. And then verse 21, how lovely are your tents. Or excuse me, this is Numbers 24, 5 and 9. Numbers 24, 5 and 9. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. The sense here is that God looks down upon his people and he's well pleased because they're his. 
When God looks at his people, he only ever has that feeling of, you ever you look out and you see your kids playing or you're with your family or whatever the case may be and you just go, man, that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. That's how God feels when he looks at you. He never looks at you and goes, I'm not here if he calls. You know what I mean? Never. When God looks at you, it's always, my children, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, and your dwellings, O Israel. Verse 9, he bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. A little bit about Balaam. The Bible says here in, let's, uh, we, well, we haven't read it yet. So 24, chapter 24, starting with verse 15. This is the last words he speaks to King Balak. He has already three times pronounced blessings upon Israel. Balak, the king, has had it with him, has had it. And he said in, in chapter 24 and verse uh, 10, it says, Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. You see, that's where he was wrong. Balaam didn't bless anybody. God blessed them. It's amazing. People who cannot see God cannot see God. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God because those that come to him first must believe that he is and second, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But people who don't have faith, they can never see God in anything. All he sees is Balaam's not saying what I want him to say. He cannot see that God will not allow him to say anything against the nation of Israel. He can't see what's really going on here. You've blessed him these three times. Now, therefore, flee, <laughs> run to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, notice, the Lord has kept you back from honor. Friends, the Lord will never keep you back from honor. Maybe worldly honor. That's the lie of the serpent. That's the lie of the serpent right there. God doesn't want you to have any fun. God doesn't want you to live a fulfilled life. God, God needs to understand. You see, God needs to, you know, God needs to take into account. You know, God, God needs to, you know, he needs to give a little. No, he doesn't. He doesn't ever need to give a little. We need to give. <laughs> we need to bend. Um, <clears throat> so Balaam said to Balak, did I not also speak to your messengers to whom you sent me, saying, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the words of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, I must speak. Verse 15, well, he says, and now indeed, verse 14, I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So, uh, quick point, there's a gear shift that's happening here. Okay, uh, Balak has called Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. Instead, God is only putting into Balaam's mouth the words of blessing upon the nation of Israel. That's all he has for his people are blessings, okay? And so Balaam three times has given these blessings for the nation of Israel. Balak's angry about it, but Balaam's not done. I should say, God's not done, okay? Uh, Balak, I've told you three times that my people are blessed. Now let me tell you what I'm about to do to you. Okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm not done. It's just, oh, they're blessed, they're blessed, they're blessed, they're blessed. Remember, Jesus Christ said, your name is Peter, and I tell you, and I tell you, when he was talking to Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail. So here's what he says. So verse 15, he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man, this, notice this, whose eyes are opened. 
the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Imagine having your eyes open. Imagine having uh, your ears able to hear the words of God. Imagine having knowledge of the Most High and seeing a vision of the Almighty and never giving your heart to that God. How does that work? How does that happen that a person can experience all the blessings of God and see God's movement and see God work and never give their heart to him? How does that happen? Well, for Balaam, it was because he had a great idol in his life, the idol of glory, worldly glory and possession consumed him. And always when it came down to God's will being done and Balaam's idol, Balaam's idols always came first. And so all these things that he says about himself that are true, and yet he doesn't give himself to God's will. He doesn't serve God. Uh, so here's what he says. I see him, verse 17, I see him. Notice that's capital H, okay? Well, who you think he might be talking about here? <laughs> but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. Now listen, here's a cool thing. Balaam was from the east. Balaam was from Mesopotamia. You know who also came from the east, from the area of Mesopotamia most likely? The wise men. And remember what they saw? A star. Now 1,400 years earlier, Balaam says this, a star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. Now, Moab is the kingdom that belongs to Balak and destroy all the sons of tumult. Now, interestingly enough, where it says the sons of tumult there, the other way that that can be, uh, that that can be um, translated is the sons of Seth, the sons of Seth, which of course is Adam and Eve's son that they had after Cain killed Abel. And all of the lineage to Noah from that point in time went through Seth. The other way it can be translated are the sons of tumult. In other words, in other words, he is talking about, because guess what? You're a descendant of Seth, okay? If you're sitting in this room and there's blood coursing through your veins and your heart's beating today, you're a descendant of Seth, right? We all come from the same parents, every last one of us, all right? We all go back to one initial creative act when God made Adam and Eve. We all come through the line of Seth, okay? <clears throat> and so it could be translated, the sons of Seth, but also the sons of tumult. In other words, because notice what he says about him. A scepter shall rise out of Israel, batter the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of tumult. Well, Jesus Christ certainly isn't going to destroy everybody, but he is going to destroy those who hate him. Make no mistake about it. You know, we like to have this vision, we like to have this picture that we paint of Jesus Christ, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, Sugar wouldn't melt in his mouth, you know? I mean, Jesus was just walking around like, what do you think, Jesus? I don't know, you know? I just want to pick some flowers, guys. You got Jesus all wrong, okay? You got Jesus all wrong. Uh, I saw a, a really interesting um, uh, is it meme. I don't know if it was a meme or a gif or what, what, which, which one it is, but it, what it said was, if people, people, say, um, people say that I am peaceful, I'm peaceful, and what the thing says is, unless you are able to inflict harm, unless you're able to do great damage, you're not peaceful, you're harmless. But a man, a person who is able to inflict great damage and yet doesn't, 
is peaceful. Okay? There's a difference. Jesus Christ was peaceful. Remember, remember what he said when Peter cut off the servants here, when they came to arrest Jesus, he goes, Peter, put away your sword. I could call 12 legions of my father's angels right now. When they came and said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus let out the phrase, I am, they drew back and fell over. Because he didn't just say, I'm sure thousands of times in Jesus' earthly ministry when he's talking to his disciples, and he said, are you Jesus? I am, I am. I am. Oh yeah, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus. And nobody was falling over. Every time Jesus walked in, he said, I am. Everybody, you know. But when he spoke those words, when they came to arrest him, he said it specifically, he called himself, I am Remember, when the Pharisees were saying, how can you, you said you see Abraham's day, you're not 40 years old. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus Christ is one with Jehovah God. They are one and the same, and yet three. Mm, okay. But it is what it is. And Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. Again and again and again. He said, I am. And they drew back and they fell over. Um. Oh boy, okay. Where are we going? Da, 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 da. So Jesus Christ, this is where I was trying to get at. Jesus Christ is the Lord's commander. He's the commander of the armies of God. The Lord is a warrior. Remember that praise song we used to sing? The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is mighty in battle. One of the reasons that God loved David so much is that David was a warrior. He was a warrior, not in the sense of, not in, the, in a bravado sense, not in a look how tough I am, look how cool I am, look how tough I am. No, no. You know, the guys, those of you who grew up or ever grew up in tough neighborhoods or around tough people, the tough people weren't the talkers, right? There's always that one dude, I, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do get this. And then you get in the real situation and it's like, well, where'd he go? Well, where'd he go? He's hiding behind the bar. You know what I mean? It's the quiet ones. The quiet ones, those are the ones you got to worry about. Those are the ones you got to worry about. Jesus Christ was strong. He was mighty. When he goes into the temple and he clears that place out, you know, they could have stopped him. They could have tried to stop him. Uh-uh. I don't think so, unless they wanted to catch an eye jammy. You know what I'm saying? Look, seriously, Jesus Christ, when he went into the temple and he saw my father's house, it is written, will be called a house of prayer. You turn it into a den of thieves. You're about to get a beating. And that's exactly what he did. He made, he made a whip out of cords. You know, that sounds hurtful. And just began beating the people, not the people, the, 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 the people making merchandise of the things of God and flipping over their tables and breaking the pens and letting all the animals loose in the temple. When Jesus Christ comes back, here's what the scripture says. Uh, Psalms chapter 2, verses 7 to 12. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Remember Jesus used this verse with the disciples. The Messiah, whose son is he? They said, the son of David. And he said, how then would David, by the power of the Holy Spirit, call him Lord? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Um, but here's another verse that backs that up. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Now this is speaking of Jesus Christ and the millennial reign. When Jesus Christ comes back 
and destroys Antichrist and his armies and establishes his throne in Jerusalem and rules the earth from that place for a thousand years, according to the Scriptures, this is what his kingdom is going to look like. I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. Does this sound like the hippie Jesus to you? When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Because you know why? You and I are never going to know that Jesus. You've put your trust in him, you're never going to know that Jesus. But this is what he's prophesying here. When he, Jesus Christ, when he comes, when he finally comes to establish his throne, it's not going to be patty cake time, okay? It's not going to be like, well, we disagree. We don't like the policy that Jesus... Da, da. It's going to be it. Jesus is going to rule, the Scripture says, with an iron scepter. Uh, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. That is, all the sons of Seth who are rebels, is what it's saying there. All the people who reject Jesus Christ. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also, his enemies shall be a possession. While Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob, now notice the capital letters here, okay? Out of Jacob, capital O, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. And then he looked at Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. And some of these things God began with Saul and David. Okay, David fought against uh, Amalek, Saul fought against Amalek, and then later uh, the tribe of Simeon utterly destroyed what was left in First Chronicles, what was left of Amalek, of the Amalekites. Remember, because when they came out to fight against Israel uh, with Moses, uh, and they came out to destroy them, and God gave the, the Israelites a victory, but he said, my hand will forever be against Amalek until he's destroyed. And that came to pass during the kingdom years. Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites, and he said, uh, took up his oracle and said, firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. Now, because he says, he says Cain, Kenites were the descendants of Cain. Remember, Cain killed Abel, and then God cast him out of the garden, said he put a mark upon him, because Cain said, whoever finds me is going to kill me. So God put a mark upon him, and whoever kills Cain will be under God's judgment. Well, Cain went out and started a family, and the Kenites were of the, descendant, the descendants of Cain. Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? Now, Asher is the Assyrians, okay? When we get into the kingdom years... Uh, the Assyrian Empire was on the rise, okay? And the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire, which eventually combined into one, led by Nebuchadnezzar, are the ones that took Israel captive. But along the way, they destroyed many, many, many nations. Many nations. And so that's what he's talking about here. That's this prophecy. Cain will be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? The Assyrians were going to take the Kenites and carry them away into captivity, then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher. Now, this is the Assyrians. 
This is the Assyrian and later Babylonians that he's speaking of. And they shall be afflicted. They shall afflict uh, Asher and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. Now, what he's probably talking about here, most historians believe, is the Grecian and the Roman empires, what came from that area of Cyprus, and their ships, and, they came, and we know Alexander the Great, right? You guys know the rest. The Roman Empire, all of these little nations, all these little tribes. This is one of the greatest, most wonderful things about the Israelites, about the Jews. You ever hear of an Amalekite? You got any Amalekite friends? How many Amalekite friends you got? This is my boy, Bob. He's an Amalekite, okay? This is my, this is my friend, Sue, all right? She's a Kenite. There ain't no Kenites. There's no Amalekites, Jebusites. There's none of them. They're gone. They've all perished. They've all been taken away. There is one ancient culture called the Israelites that exists to this day. Now, you could say that modern-day Iraq was the area of Babylon, but there's nobody calling themselves Babylonians, are there? There are no Babylonians. There's no Romans. They're Italians, okay? But there are Israelites, aren't there? Why do you suppose that is? Just lucky, I guess. Because God said, has God said, and shall he not do? I love it when God boasts. I love it when God brags. Because I said so. Yes, sir. Right? That's it. Why does he bless the nation of Israel? Why does he love the Jews? I don't know. Because he said so. And so they exist to this day. This is the beauty of it, guys, because for you as Bible-believing Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, you lie under the same promises. You are engrafted, wild olive branches, engrafted into that tree. You're in, you are inheriting these same promises, these same blessings. So we're going to end. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way, seemingly separated to meet no more, but the plot thickens. Next week. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for uh, just, man, the, the power and the truth of what you've done, what you've accomplished, Lord, who you are, and that here we are. Who were we? <laughs> Who are we? And yet you love us and you've made us a part of these, this grand design, the enormity of your kingdom, the creator of the universe, the king of all things, and you've made us joint heirs with your only son. Wow. We are so, so, so overcome by who you are and who you've chosen to make us, Lord, through Jesus Christ. Father, may our lives be lived to bless you, to worship you, to honor you, and to serve your son, Jesus Christ, and to be filled with your Holy Spirit to do the work you've called us to do, and that is to love you, to worship you, and then from that place in our hearts to go out and make disciples of all nations. Father, help us to be what you designed us to be, Father. Bless my brothers and sisters. Bless their day. Bless their week. Father, be with them and help them to have the same heart as Jesus. Not their will be done, but yours. Help them to accept whatever it is that you bring into their life. As long as they know it's from you, Father, they can have peace. They can have rest. Help us all to be of that same mind and that same heart. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody.